Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malt House Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host today. I forgot there's a camera. With me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. Howdy. This is the Malt House Games Podcast, episode number 136. Snap. We are a podcast all about board games, card games, role-playing games, tabletop games, dice games, things of that sort, and beer, usually. Yes, and today we have two beers. We do have two beers, and they are both new beers that we have never had before, one of which is by a company I don't think we've had on the podcast that is local. The first one is not, though. The first one is from Dogfish Head, who we've talked about loving before. Blessed. This is Dogfish Head's Nordic Spring IPA, ale brewed with orange peels, juniper needles, and berries. It's a 12-fluid-ounce can, 6.5% alcohol by volume. Uh, This is part of their 2023 Off-Centered Art Series. Uh, the art on this one is by Natalia Balnova, and the art is very pretty floral. Little, is that a bunny or a slug? It's a little bunny right there. That's a little bunny. And oh, there's a look. little deer that's made. Oh, look, yeah. They're made out of fruits and They're stuff. They're made out of fruits, and like, the deer's made out of leaves. It's adorable. It's a very pretty can. You'll be able to see it in our podcast ad, but it's a beautiful can. It reminds me of Odell Brewing, Sipping Pretty. Yes, it, it does. It kind of has a, uh, a similar tone to it like that. has the same color palette. Yeah, essentially. And so we picked these up today, and I'm really excited. Oh, my God. I already smell it. It smells delightful. It smells really good. Oh, my word. Now, every time we see a new dogfish head, I always hope to find the strawberry dogfish head we had on our engagement trip. Uh, because Delton, when we went to Rhode Island, he really wanted to find dogfish head. And he had talked about getting the 120-minute IPA, and we also had found a strawberry one that I really liked. And I don't think they've made that one again. I think that was one of their... Uh, once upon a time, once in a lifetime seasonals, much like this one is. So it smells delicious. I smell it from here. I smell the juniper. I smell the citrus. I smell the magic. I'm ready to give it a a taste. It is very hazy. It's got a good yellow color to it, but a lot of haze in there. Wow. It's got really good head retention. Ooh, that is a stout smell. It's a very stout smell. It smells, it's like tangerine peel and juniper and magic. You definitely get a little juniper. What do you? What else do you smell, Delty? It's got. It's. I don't know. It's, I don't know, but it smells good. It smells like sugar too, not just sweet, but like sugar. Yeah, this is. It's probably gonna be just hummingbird water. <laughs> I'm not opposed. <laughs> That's basically it. Go for it. Take your taste. See what it tastes like. Mm. You can tell that it's gonna have that pungency of an IPA. Oh wow! Of a good IPA. It does, but it's not as heavy. It's like an IPA ghost. Ooh, okay, so. It's a LaCroix of IPAs. It's got it's got a lot more aroma hops than it does in terms uh than it does in bittering hops. The aroma, the smell is super stout. It smells like a very strong, like pungent dank IPA. But it tastes like a juniper tangerine with a LaCroix hop mixed in. You can tell they put orange peel in it. You get a tiny bit of the bitterness there. The juniper's hard to pick up for me in the flavor. Mm-hmm. That's because I don't know what to look for when it comes to juniper. But don't drink it, enough gin. I don't drink enough gin. But then it really, it tones down like that. That bitterness is not really there for this one. No, this is very much I mean, a spring it, beer. It has IPA bitterness, but it's not yeah. what you would expect based on smell. Again, it is the LaCroix of bitterness. The LaCroix of hops. The LaCroix of an IPA. Mm, that's a really good IPA. It is delicious. As always, Dogfish Head just killing it. But it, it really, it, it tastes like a spring beer. I would want this, probably not in the middle of January, like we're drinking it right now. Right. 
So I might save a couple of these bad boys for early spring, but it, it tastes like something you'd have on, on Easter. Everybody drink on Easter, right? Yes, that's just what you do. It's what Easter is about is, you know, chocolate and beer. Yes. That's, you know, historical. Uh, since I know Ben is going to be listening to this, hello, Ben. Hi, uh, Ben. Ben, you're going to like this beer. As, yes. an, as an IPA guy, you should find this. Uh, j- just to reiterate, this is from Dogfish Head, and this is Nordic Spring IPA, part of their Off-Centered Art series. And just to reiterate, this is Dogfish Head, and this is delicious. <laughs> That's very good. But yes, uh, so there's our there's our beer. This is I'm glad we have a couple more of these in the fridge now. Uh, but I'm trying to think, what have we done in the past two weeks since our last episode? So we have started to get buff like Chuck Norris because Delton's parents are very kind, and they bought us a Chuck Norris after hours machine. <laughs> is that what you're calling it? Yes, because it only comes on on the infomercials, and Chuck Norris is like 82 years old and still looks buff, and I highly doubt that it's just from using this machine, but by God, it's whooping our butts, much like Chuck Norris would. Yes, my parents, uh, and by my parents, I mean mostly my mom, very kindly uh, got Haley and I a Total Gym. Hell yeah. And if you'll remember the commercials for Total Gym, it's the basically your seat-laying area that's on like a rail. And if you're not familiar, just stay up until about 11.30 tonight, put it on basic cable yeah. or your rabbit ears, and you will see it. Yes, it's a workout machine. We've started working out, though, now that Haley has been cleared after her surgery. Yeah. Uh, she's good to go. So we started working out this week. We've now done two workouts, which is 7,000% more than we've done in the past year and a half. And at least myself, I guess. <laughs> but it's very nice, and we're both a little sore. And by a little, I mean decently. I mean, my total gym with my billy club, I am going to be unstoppable here in about six months. So just watch out. Absolutely unstoppable. We also went on a hike over at Keystone. Not to be confused with the beer, but Keystone Lake in uh, outside of Tulsa, America. Yeah, Sand Springs, Oklahoma, outside Tulsa. Haley thought it was in the uh, Keystone Lake State Park. Which is very different than the Keystone Lake Park. To which we bought a t-shirt for her and we paid for parking. And then we promptly drove five minutes away from there to go to Keystone Ancient Forest to go hiking. Which is the same forest, but different jurisdiction and free. And right across the street from the Osage Forest of Peace. Yes. And the Keystone Ancient Forest, if you are in Oklahoma and you enjoy hiking... Uh, they have all kinds of different trails with different levels. I say all kinds. They have a small paved one, a bunch of like normal, just, you know, ground, dirt, whatever. Then they have the more complicated trail, which is the black trail. And then they have the one that was like the trail less traveled. That's the longest one. Yes. And they had plenty of different areas to go. A lot of people had kids and strollers or pets. They allow pets like once a month or twice a month, something Two like Saturdays that. Two Saturdays a month. Yeah. It was really, really beautiful, very nice, good hiking as well. It was uh, 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 the kind of hike where you have to pay attention to where you're putting your feet, which is the kind of thing we like, but it's not all that, which means you get a break in between the complicated sections, and that just makes it a lot more enjoyable uh, of a hike for us. And so, for example, the Frank Trail is the long trail that Delton was talking about, and that one is an ADA-compliant trail, and so you see a lot of you know, folks uh, with strollers, uh, folks with small children that were meandering along that one. You had, and there's multiple different trails of different uh, difficulties, but there's the 
fire road trail. Is that right? The fire road or firehouse trail? Fire road was the one where you could tell they could take trucks down. Yes, fire road. And so fire road, that one was not paved, but it was very flat, so it was a bit more moderate. Oh, the, the the paved one was Childers. Trail. Childers. Childers, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. and then there was also a few, uh, there was the waterfall trail and the like Garrett trail or something like that, which were the difficult yeah. ones. A Wilson Trail, that's it. Wilson the Wilson trail. trail was the little like mile loop. Yes. And then we did the It was like the water. We ball. did part of the Frank and then it went off to the harder one. Yes. But yeah. anyway, you can mix and match your trails. We did it to where the first mile and a half was very easy, second mile and a half, moderate. Next two miles were extremely strenuous, and the last mile was a nice little stroll downhill. So a good little cool down. It was really nice. Very much worth it. A great, great hiking area. And free. And free, which is good. <laughs> Not Very for us, good. but it is free. Yes, definitely. And so that's really what we've been up to. We got, like Delt said, I got cleared to start working out last Friday and just hit the ball, hit the ground running. And then tomorrow I might be going on a little hike myself before we have Jim Wynn and Cody over for our Stupid Movie Day. Do you want to explain what Stupid Movie Day is, Delton? Yes, we are doing what we call Stupid Movie Day tomorrow with Jim Wynn and Cody. Uh, tomorrow is going to be the Saturday before this episode comes out, so the 21st. What we're doing is we're going to Vintage Stock. And we are all going to pick a movie that we have never seen that looks bad. And we're going to watch those movies and we're going to pick which one. Is it the worst or the best? That is up the, to the individual. Is it the best because it's the worst or the worst because it's the worst? I think it's the best because it's the worst. Okay. The most enjoyably bad film. We're going to have a contest to see who wins. Yeah. So that's what we're doing tomorrow. It's going to be ridiculous and I'm excited about it uh, because it's, you know, it's just great. Absolutely. I think, I think that'll be super fun. But that's about all that we've been up to, and that's the plans that we have going on. Uh, other than that, we've just been playing some fun games. Oh, here's the door. Uh, uh. It's straight ahead. It's it's a game. By the way, we're matching again this week. No, we're not. Yeah, we are. I don't have plaid. Black and white. Okay, just black and white. I can remove the plaid. Would you be glad? Anyway, the game for this episode is actually two games this episode. Double feature. We are breaking the rules. Uh, not that we have rules, but we're breaking the the norm, and we are featuring two games on this episode. We're house ruling it. We are house ruling it. We're featuring two games, uh, both of which are by the same designer and same publishing company, and they're also similar style games with very similar elements to them, but they differ. So I thought this would be a great idea for the episode. The games for today are going to be Nine Lives and Ghosts of Christmas, both published by Board Game Tables, which is soon to change their name to All Play, yes. I believe. I think you're right. I think that's correct. I can't figure out which way to twist this. Look at that. But this is Nine Lives and Ghosts of Christmas. Now let me get the little rule books here for the credits so I can tell you everything. But if you remember, Ghost of Christmas is the one that I haggled for at our last BGG Con, and one that we really enjoyed playing with uh, Tyler and Alan. So hi, Tyler and Alan. Yes, this is the one that uh, Haley haggled for, and we have really enjoyed. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and give the credits for these, and I'm going to give the credits for both at the same time, because a lot of them are the same. And then we'll dive into each game separately, and then I'll talk about the similarities between them and general thoughts of both of them after talking about the, the thoughts of each. And then I'll talk about cats. Sure. So, I don't know which one this is. Okay, so, uh, Ghosts of Christmas 
is designed as well as Nine Lives. They're both designed by Taiki Shinzawa. He's a Japanese board game designer. And I meant to look up, he has a game in the Oink Game series, published by Oink Games, and I cannot remember which one it is. Go, so go, gadget, Google, Del. I don't want to tell you the wrong thing. That was one breath. Okay, I will be cutting out 90% of your song because that's way too long. No, that was impressive is what it was. That was a solid 12 seconds of without a breath. It was a long time. Uh, Okay, so yes, Taiki Shinzawa is a Japanese game designer living in Tokyo. Uh, He wants to focus on trick-taking as a game mechanic and looks for ways to rethink game design. So he's got several different games. A lot of these I have not ever heard of, but... The Oink game is Mask Men, which is the one that has wrestling masks as the cover. Why don't we own I, that? I've never played it. Uh, I, I just don't know. It's It looks like that one is co-designed. It's by Taiki Shinzawa and Jun Sasaki. We love all Oink games, and that one's wrestling. You're wearing a pro wrestling t-shirt right now, which you could see if you were a Patreon subscriber. <laughs> I guess before we get any further, then. <laughs> Shameless plug. So, yes, if you want to be a Patreon backer, You can head to patreon.com slash malthousegames. I said .com weird. Uh, That is where you can become a patron if you would like. If you want to support us, it helps us out with the show, helps us out with new equipment, things like that. I am pretty soon, I think, finally actually going to have to replace these stupid cables because my microphone last time had some weird shorts. I don't know if you caught it in the audio. A little wonky, but you you can go support us and be like the awesome supporters we have, which there are several, uh, some of which support at a level in which you get shouted out on the podcast. Those currently are Alan, Jennifer, and Cliff. So thank you so much for backing us at that level where we shout you out here. And like I said, if you want to be like them, head to patreon.com slash games to check that out, where you also get the video version of this podcast, and you get to see us in all our glory, and you also get to see the stuff I leave in, like me kind of picking my nose a little bit because it was itching. Digging for treasure. Digging for some treasure, as Tyler would say. Okay, so these games, they are both designed by Taiki Shinzawa. Then Ghosts of Christmas has illustrations by Maria Serdukan. Graphic design by Anka Gavril. Development, Michael Dunsmore and John Brieger. Scout, James Nathan. 3D artist, Philip Gavril. And rulebook writer, Sam Hiller. Nine Lives is illustration is by Chris Smith. Graphic design by Luke Adams. Consulting is John Brieger and Michael Dunsmore. Scouting, James Nathan, and special thanks to Renee Hammer. What a cool name, Hammer. That's an awesome, that's a wrestling last name right that's there. That's great. But yeah, so these are both designed by Taiki Shinzawa, and I think just based off these two games, he has a knack for trick-taking games. That being said, these are both trick-taking games. Now, I'm going to start with Ghost of Christmas because that's the one that we have talked about the most and also the one that I started with of these two games. Uh, Both of these are fairly simple games. Uh, I guess they're fairly simple, but they add enough complexity to make them, for me, more interesting. So in Ghosts of Christmas, you are playing, simultaneously playing, several tricks at the same time. If you have not played a trick-taking game, we did talk about them on episode 86 with The Crew, which is a cooperative trick-taking game that I enjoy very much. I think Haley does too. Uh, But in this one, these are both competitive. In trick-taking... Uh, The most simple example I can give is if everyone has a card in their hand and they're all different number values, if I played a two and Haley played a three, Haley played the higher value, she wins the trick 
which is basically the played cards, right? All the cards played in that moment is one trick. The highest value wins, but almost all, I'm going to say almost all, because I don't know, trick-taking games have a trump suit. They usually have multiple suits, and one of those suits, which could be dictated uh, either during that game or it could be always set, like in Ghost of Christmas or something like that, uh, one of those suits is the trump suit, which means no matter what its value, it's always going to win those played cards. Even if it's only a one and somebody played a 10, that one is going to win if it's the correct color. But the key with trick-taking games, and most of them, is if somebody plays a certain suit, let's say you play red, or somebody plays red as the first card, everyone else now has to play red for that trick. Decently simple, kind of weird if you haven't done it, but that's okay. I still find it confusing at times. In Ghosts of Christmas, what makes this game unique is two different things. One, you are actually betting how many tricks you will win. Uh, which I find to be very fascinating. And that's something both these games will share. But Ghost of Christmas, its most unique thing that it does is you are actually playing three or four, if you play with the Beyond variant, you are playing, uh, we're going to do baseline three though, three tricks at the same time, simultaneously. So every single player will be able to play, being that this is Ghost of Christmas and they themed it that, you know, Christmas way, you're going to be playing past, present, and future so in the present, if you are the first person to play in present, it actually sets, and I will have better pictures of these, but it actually sets these little wheels. This is the beyond wheel. It actually sets the wheel. You turn it to whatever color. And if you play green as the first color, you set the wheel for past. Boom. Green is now the suit you must follow. Every card play there must be green. Now, the key is, if you do not have the color of the suit that you're supposed to follow, in this case, green, you can then play any suit, which means you could play the trump suit to win it. So in Ghost of Christmas, you're playing the three simultaneous tricks, and it is setting the different colors. Everybody plays, you'll play however, you know, however many cards for however many people. So you'll play in each of your three, everybody plays in their three different spots. Once everyone plays, you then will resolve who won what. And so what's really interesting about this one, too, is that, yes, whoever plays first sets the... Tone sets the, uh, what's it called? The lead suit. The lead suit that you're supposed to follow. However, if you have one past, then you get to choose the uh, suit color for present. And so if you've won one of the tricks, you get to choose the next color that's actually going to be the lead suit the next well, round. Well, it's not, the, it's not that you choose it. It's the, the card you played in present sets yes. it. Yes, yeah. So to... to kind of clarified it's a little strange and it's hard unless you see it in action but basically let's say you played in past and let's say Haley led with green and so everybody played green except for me i didn't have any green in hand so i decided to play a yellow card or, i'm sorry let's change that let's say i decided to play a red card red is the trump suit in ghost of christmas no matter what red is trump so if Haley played green and sets the suit for that past column as green and i don't have green so i play red that means my card wins so once everybody has played all of their cards for past, present, and future, we resolve them together. So we first look at uh, the lead suit for past, which would be set by Haley playing green first. But I have a red card there, trump card, which means I won. So the, there's a little hat token, right? Or a little token that goes to my card and says, boom, Delton won. So now it goes to present. It doesn't go off of actually what the lead suit is at present, whenever everybody played their cards, it actually is changing the, the winning suit or the lead suit to whatever card I played there. 
So if I, if uh, let's say the lead suit in present was blue and I played a blue card, it would be blue. Highest blue card would win unless someone played a Trump. But if again, let's say somebody set the present suit to green and I again didn't have green, but this time I played a yellow card there. Everyone else plays green, but I played yellow. Since I had one passed and the token moves to my present card to set the winning suit, I have yellow, nobody else has yellow, I immediately win present with yellow, which means now it's going to go to the third row in the future, and then we're going to do the same thing. So it's very, very interesting because every time you're playing these three cards, these three uh, tricks at once, but depending on how you won or what your opponent wins with, you can change it to then like game the game is what I like to say. And I find it super, super interesting because there's not many games that have this interesting element of not only paying attention to what everyone's playing, but paying attention to who's going to win and how you can play off of their win in the same like kind of turn. It's very fascinating, but that's the main core mechanic of Ghost of Christmas that makes it so fascinating is because it's not just about who played the highest card. There's so many more little elements to it. And another element is it doesn't really matter how much you win or how much you lose. What really matters is how much you think you're going to win or think you're going to lose, which is how I learned I have a very fickle self-esteem. Yes, exactly. Uh, In Ghost of Christmas and Nine Lives, putting down saying, I think I'm going to win this many tricks. Now, in Ghost of Christmas, it's a little more restrictive than in Nine Lives. But in Ghost of Christmas, the way it works is you say, I think... I'm going to win four tricks. You take these four little door tokens, and if you win exactly four, no less, no more, you will get, uh, I think it's like two points per door. Yes, two points per door. Two points per door. Awesome. There's also the option of, I'm going to win four, but I'm going to take one of the, uh, you can only take one. I'm going to take one of the, like, you know, maybe I'll win too many doors and put it on there. So that way you can win four or five. But if you win four or five, you can't go higher than that and you can't go lower than four, you only only get one point per door. So whatever you're betting on yourself, whatever you're saying, I'm going to win this many, uh, it's super tough because you have to be aware of how many other people think they're going to win because if your hand's really good, you're going to say, I'm going to win a lot more versus if your hand really sucks, you're like, I might win two. And so you're going to do this multiple times. Is it three or is it four times that you place that bet? It's so many times per... Because you you do so many full hands per player. And a full hand, I think, is like 12 cards. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure. There's, there's a way to math it, but you'll do it at least three times. And so that's, like I said, how I learned I have a very fickle self-esteem. Because it's always the first round. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to win five. It's going to be great. And then I win one. I'm like, shoot. Okay. Lower my standards. I'm going to win two. Oh, snap. I won seven. Oh, I'm great. I'm going to win five. Nope. You're going to win one, which is how whenever we played with Tyler and Alan at BGG Con, Delton and Tyler were like neck and neck at like seven and eight points. And then uh, Alan and I both got zero. Yeah. We literally got zero. It's really tough. It's a very tough game. Uh, I should also state both these games go to three or four people. So sadly, there's no two-player version, and I don't know how you would make a two-player version work. But at three to four, like that's that's a nice little, you know, oh, we're having dinner with another couple or something. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's Ghost of Christmas' main thing. That's basically the game of it. And it's it's a game that I played it and was immediately intrigued at how thinking about how what you're playing 
thinking about who's going to win, thinking about what that means for the next from past to present to present to future. Uh, it had me intrigued in thinking about the game and it made me want to play it again, which is why we did. And I was able to pick it up and now have played it several times since. So that's Ghost of Christmas. Moving on from Ghost of Christmas, we also have Nine Lives. Now, this is a Christmas game for me and it has kitty tokens that I love. So this was a game I bought for Haley. And I also suck at. <laughs> yes, and she also sucks at. Uh, so both of these games have like a $5 uh, wooden upgrade piece that you can buy from board game tables. And uh, this one, they are like wooden cat tokens instead of just the cardboard punch outs. And in Ghost of Christmas, it's wooden wreaths instead of just punch outs. Show the people what they want to see, Delty. Show them the kitty that's upside down. I was about to say, there's one cat that's better than the rest, and it's because the the little shithead is upside down and just so... Sorry, my fingernails are really dirty. And so adorable. He's just like, meh. Looks like pity. <laughs> it kind of does. Uh, they're great. The tokens are absolutely worth it just for the visuals alone. They're so cute. But anyway, Nine Lives, again, another trick-taking game. Nine Lives, I feel like, I don't know. I was going to say that it doesn't do things, it doesn't change things as crazily as Ghost of Christmas, but I actually think it does just in a very different way. So where Ghost of Christmas, you're playing multiple tricks at once and you're betting on them. In Nine Lives, you're also betting on how many tricks you're going to win. However, instead of playing multiples at once, you can see the suits your opponents hold. And if you win a trick, you will take one of the cards, not the one you played, from that trick and put it in your hand. And that immediately was just like, wait, how is this going to work? What is happening? Who's a, who's a what's it? And it's, it's very interesting. So in this game, it's got four suits as well. In a three-player game of both of these, I think you exclude a color to limit the game down a little bit. So we've only played Nine Lives once with three people. Ghost of Christmas, we've played several times with three and four people. So that one we have much more experience with, which is where Nine Lives, I want to have more experience, but telling someone, hey, I want to play this trick-taking game, it's kind of weird, get ready, is, you know, kind of rough sometimes. We just need to get a roommate who we only invite out of their room whenever it's time to play games. Hey. That's just called friends we invite over. No, but they need to, like... Be here, like if we get, uh, if we're feeling froggy on like a Tuesday night, like, oh, let's, let's play a three player game. Sure. Oh, snap. Oh, Gregory. Oh, <laughs> Gregory. Anyway, with Gregory in mind, I guess. Uh, so in Nine Lives, there are four different cards. The winning, not the winning, the Trump suit in this one, it's red and Ghost of Christmas. It is purple, which I found to be awesome. It is purple in Nine Lives. So in Nine Lives, the, the big kicker here is uh you like are I was cats saying, on a rug there are cats on a rug and i'll get to that but the big kicker like i said is that you get to see the suits your opponents are holding so you know if they don't have any red cards you know if they don't have any uh, i guess they're kind of more pink colored oh they're red you know if they don't have any yellow cards or any blue cards you know that for a fact looking at their hands which can change how you're playing but here's the key with this one which is very different in ghost of christmas you are betting on i'm gonna win four tricks and you can't win more unless you do that one door so you could win four or five, but that's it. In Nine Lives, you are betting in a very weird way. So it has a board with four spaces on it. The four spaces represent two numbers apiece. The one represents one and five, two and six, three and seven, four and eight. 
So if you go, if you win one trick, you go to one. If you win two tricks, you go to two. If you win three, you go to three. If you win four, you go to four. If you win a fifth one, you go back to the beginning where the one is because it's also five. I don't think anyone would ever win eight tricks. I really don't. That's really difficult. But uh, so that's how the game's going to work. That's how it tracks them. Instead of like in Ghost of Christmas, you put a little wreath on your door. In nine lives, you're physically moving your token up this track and then looping it back to the beginning. And now where this comes into play is your cat tokens are what you use to bet. In Ghost of Christmas, you're putting doors, number of doors you want. In nine lives, you are putting your cat token down. And the cat token can go down in two ways. The first way is directly next to the one and four, the two and five. I'm sorry, the one and five, the two and six, the three and seven, the four and eight. Meaning if you put it in front of the one and five, that means you're either going to win one or five tricks. Not in between, not more, not less, one or five. There's also putting the cat long ways in front of two sets of numbers. So you could, instead of being one and five, you could say you're going to win one or five or two or six. So that gives you more leeway. However, just like in Ghost of Christmas, you're going to get less points for being accurate than you would if you had a single pair of numbers that you're in front of. The other key here in Ghost of Christmas, if you undershoot or overshoot your bid, you just don't get points. In Nine Lives, if you over or undershoot your bid, you will lose points based on how far away your token was from your bet. So if you bet wide by laying your cat vertically, essentially, where you're in front of more numbers, there is less margin to be far away from your cat. So if you bet on the middle two sets, which is going to be the two and six and the three and seven, if you actually got five tricks, you're only one away. But if you put it only on the three and seven, then the one and five is now two away. So now you've lost two points. So it can be a lot more punishing if you get it wrong, uh, but it can also give you more leeway if you do it the other way. So it's very fascinating because it makes you think about how many you're going to play. And something else to be said, so Ghost of Christmas, we talked about kind of playing off of, oh, I see that I can, like, uh, I don't have the color they played. If I play this trump suit, I'm going to win. So my next card can actually, you know, I can win that, blah, blah, blah. It's like you kind of game it. In Nine Lives, what's so fascinating about it, and this is one of the things I've really enjoyed about the game through our one play, is since you pick up a card after playing a hand, uh, let's say you see I, I'm playing a game and I have one trump card in hand, and Haley and Riley, who's that's who we played with, they have none. I can play my trump suit. They don't have any trump suits, so they have to play anything else. They play whatever they want. My trump suit wins, so I won a trick. Then I get to look at the two cards that they played, look at their hands to see what suits they have, and pick from those. Uh, to make this a better example, if I have the highest value trump, which I think is a nine. I think they go up to nine. I think you're right. It's eight. I think uh, you're wrong. <laughs> nope, it's nine. Ha -ha! I think you're right. <laughs> so let's say that I have the nine purple card. I have the nine trump card, and I start with that. Boom. You guys don't have trump cards. I have the nine. It's the best card in the game. You're not going to beat it. But they do, or I guess they don't have as high of trump cards, but they have trump cards. Let's say Haley's only trump card left, only purple, was the eight. She plays it. Riley plays the six. I won, so my nine is immediately discarded. I move up on the little track. Then I get to take one of the two cards they played into my hand. 
So I take Haley's eight purple, her eight trump card. I now, again, have the highest value trump card in the game back in my hand because the nine's out, but I have the next one. So it's really interesting because it not only allows you to do stuff like that, which means you might way overshoot your bid on how many tr tricks you're going to win. Stop calling me out. I know. But it also it also like encourages this interesting play to where your low value cards get better. If Haley plays a six and Riley plays a seven and I dump a two and hey, and uh, yeah, if I play a two and they play a six and a seven, yeah, my two's out. Right. But so's in that case, if Haley played the seven, she would take the six. So now the seven and the two's out. And let's say it comes down the, down the line a little bit. And we know there's a three, a one and a five. It's interesting because, you know, if somebody played, let's say somebody still had that seven, they could play the seven, take the five, and these lower cards are now unbeatable in that suit. It's really interesting. It's very hard for me to wrap my mind around, and only one play is not enough of this game for me to truly have a good, firm grasp of concept and what you can do with it, but it's fascinating, and, like, it was just, an, again, just like Ghost of Christmas, it's a game I thought about, and I thought, huh, how does this work out? I wonder about this. I wonder about that. I wonder if I could do this and what this means for the game. Absolutely fascinating. Um, but that's pretty much my thoughts on Nine Lives as well as Nine Lives. Both of them have great artwork, but Nine Lives is just this really interesting, cool art style. But both of these games are interesting trick-taking games that do things I haven't seen before. And they have uh, they both do a style of like betting on your tricks. They're both small box games. I just really enjoy both of them. Yes, and they're both games that you can force your opponents to win, which will actually make them lose. Yes, it's crazy. If you force somebody to win more tricks, then they'll actually lose the game because they can't get points if they've overbid it. It's fascinating. Highly recommend both of these games. Taiki Shinzawa, uh, he's got something here, and I don't know how. How? I just I found these both fascinating. And I really want to try his Mask Men from Oink and some of his other games that I don't know if they're released in the U.S. Uh, but I want to look into them now because uh, both of these fascinate me. They're very fun to play, in my opinion, and they're interesting thinkers. And I just really like them. So I think that's a good thing. Kitties. They, and there are kitties. That being said, I say let's crack the next beer before we move into the topic, which hopefully won't be too long because you're about to fall asleep. I can see it on your face. <laughs> Going to, yes, but it's 10.15 at night, which is past my bedtime, and I'm staying awake for you listeners and you alone. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very funky looking beer. I, I don't know, I don't know what's happening. It looks like whenever you're a kid and you're at grandma's house and grandma, there's no rules and grandma doesn't mind if you mess up her kitchen and you're like, grandma, what? Grandma, I'm going to make you some Kool-Aid. And you do. <laughs> but that Kool-Aid is not just water, Kool-Aid, and sugar. Because, no, you are a precocious seven-year-old. And you're like, I'm going to have some adventures here. And so what you do is you mix orange juice with a Kool-Aid packet and, like, 15 packets of Sweet and Low. That's what this looks like. Not speaking from experience. So this is, like, a, it legit is a little bit purple, kind of gray. A, gr a gurple. Grurp this is a gurple beer. <laughs> this is a gray-purple beer. It's fascinating colored. Uh, there's a little bit of sediment in the bottom. Also, the beers were different colors. So Delton poured like the first third in the, into his and the next third into mine. And mine was very much more purple. And Delton's was more orange. And then he finished up the beer uh, pouring it into his. 
And so one, he got I, more, but two, it makes it a little more evenly purple. I also, sh- his looks darker than mine now. I should have I should have tipped it upside down and, and sideways. Oh, we're gonna do it like our wedding. No, no, I don't trust this. <laughs> You're gonna spill it. I'm gonna spill it. Somebody's gonna spill it. Hey, you started it. That's true. I did. Uh, I should probably read what this beer is and everything instead of just pouring a purple beer and getting like, oh, that's everything. That's a purple beer. Okay, before I touch this beer anymore, because I want to drink it. So this is from Cross Timbers Brewing Co., which is in Oklahoma City. This is Plum Crazy Purple Sour Ale with uh, brewed with plums and purple sweet potatoes. The, the can caught me. It's a very pretty can. That's what caught me first. It's got this cool, cool car that I could not tell you what it is oh it's a 1971 barracuda in plum crazy purple well you do like purple i do like purple this is how exactly is a rainbow made how exactly does a sunset how exactly does a uh posit track rear end on a plymouth work how exactly does a purple sweet potato work in a beer it just does plum crazy purple is a kettle soured ale that's brewed with plums and purple sweet potatoes and it's just plum crazy it is a 6.8 percent alcohol by volume so there you go, Plum Crazy Purple. Let's check this out. Crazy color. How's mm. it smell? It smells... It kind of smells grapey, but... Like grape. But yeah. uh, an interesting, because it's plum. It is plum. That's plum crazy. It's strange. It smells like it's not going to be as sweet as his hearty, but it is soured. So here we go. <laughs> Did it get you good? Oh, my God. Ooh, that's super tart. Mm, right on the front of the tongue. Whoa, what that, does it taste like? That aftertaste. It tastes like taro. It kind of does sort of taste like taro. Oh. Taro taro. It tastes like a, a taro uh, boba tea is what it tastes like, the average aftertaste. At, ve- at the first, mm-hmm. it's very sour, yep. and it's very intense, mm. and then it smooths out very quickly into a very smooth and creamy taro taste. I mean, the taro makes sense because a taro plant, it's it's a tuber, isn't it? Like a potato. Mm-hmm. And so that's a ve- it's a very similar, like, starchy kind of vegetable thing. And then you mix that with the plum, which adds a little bit of that grape, because it's super tart on the front. Like, my mouth's watering now. I can feel it. Like, holy crap. But that's so interesting. That is delightful. And it, it almost tastes thick, too. Almost like you're drinking a uh, a melted slushy or a melted smoothie of some sort. It kind of does have, like, a slushy texture. Like, it's it's not that it's thick, but it almost... It's it almost like grainy, but not... I wasn't going to say grainy. I was going to say not quite oily, but like it hangs around a second. It clings as it goes through, right? Yes. That's how it feels to me. It also feels delicious. Would recommend. That is a fascinating beer, but this is our first thing from Cross Timbers. Love it. And we kind of went balls to the wall with this wild beer. They had so many simple beers or like more regular styles. And I was like, no, freaking plum crazy purple with purple sweet potato and plums, sour ale. I'm in. Let's try it. Delicious. That's really good. That's a summer beer right there. That's a summer beer. That's a really good beer. That's a very good beer. But yes. Okay. With that beer cracked, let's move into the topic to push this episode forward. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So the topic for today's episode is enemies to lovers. Yes, Haley had the great name for it of Enemies to Lovers, but we thought uh, the topic that would be good, because originally we were just going to do trick-taking, because these are two trick-taking games we talked about today, Ghost of Christmas and Nine Lives. However, we covered <laughs> trick-taking games uh, whenever we did The Crew in episode 86, and I was like, well, shoot, I don't want to just talk about trick-taking games, what tricking t- trick-taking games are, and things like that. 
So I was trying to come up with something that's going to be a little different. And Haley had the idea. We both had the same idea. I didn't know. I didn't know how to phrase it. But Haley put it as enemies to lovers. And it was essentially, what's a style of game that you've uh, historically not liked, hated even, but you have found a love within that somewhere? There has been something to change your mind for at least, maybe it's just the one game, and that's it. So uh, I thought that was perfect, and we kind of talked about what we wanted to discuss today. And so something we're going to do is I'm going to talk about, essentially, we'll talk about trick-taking games for me are going to be, I guess for you too, or no, no you've been me. good. There's something I hated, but I have found some loves for. We're both going to talk about something that we have not found a love yet. It's still an enemy. And then I think we have a maybe one or two others mixed yes. in there. So you want to start? I want you to start because okay. when it comes to trick-taking, so I didn't understand what the heck trick-taking was when I first went to Nobody Gen Con does. in 2017. No, yeah, 2017, right? Yeah. 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 And Delton had me play a game called Custom Heroes, and I loved it, and we got it. And I just, I absolutely, I hadn't found a game that I liked that much that I chose on my own, and Delty hated it. And he would not play it. Like, it was special occasions he would play it. It's almost like Sushi Go level for him. He's like, I'll play it because I love you, but I'm not enjoying this at all. And it was very difficult to get him to play a uh, a trick-taking game, let alone find one that he liked. And so it was his enemy. And Delton, now it is your lover. Yes, so... Are you regretting this topic yet? Kind of. So Custom Heroes was the first trick-taking game we owned. And at the time, I didn't realize that's what it was, was a trick-taking game, necessarily. But it was at Gen Con, we played it. I have it signed by John D. Claire, the designer. And I loved the card system, which he's famous for with, like, Mystic Veil. And I guess Edge of Darkness, I think that's his, where you, you know, you have a, a card sleeved and you poke another card in there and it changes the values or changes something about it. And that was the first one. And it was one of those that I liked because of that card aspect of modifying the cards, but I wasn't a big fan of the gameplay itself and I didn't understand why. Then I played Fox in the Forest. That was the year Fox in the Forest came out. And I was like wanting to see what it was about at the Renegade Games booth. And I ended up playing against some random stranger who was obviously knew what a trick-taking game was because the guy was like, you play a trick-taking game, right? And I was like, no, what is that? He was like, well, it's this game and you're going to win a trick. I was like, well, what's a trick? And he was like, oh, well, it's the, you know, when you play the cards, well, it's called a trick. It's like, well, why? And it was one of those like, I don't know. Well, I played against this rando stranger who obviously knew what he was doing with trick-taking games. I had no damn clue. Did not have a great time. I thought, oh, that's fine. A lot of people love that game. Not a fan. Um, but what it does, if you haven't played it, it's a trick-taking game, two-player only, I believe, which is weird because they also have Fox in the Forest duet, which feels redundant. But uh, essentially, it's a trick-taking game where you only want to win a certain number of tricks. You're playing one-on-one, -on -one, and if some, it's basically, it's like, don't win more than 11, but you don't want to win too few either. It's very interesting. But I wasn't a fan of that. I didn't like it. And ever since then, every time I've tried a trick-taking game, I'm like, I'm just not a fan. I don't understand what they're wanting me to do. I keep messing up with this following the suit, whatever, the lead suit. And I'm just not enjoying the gameplay. The gameplay sucks. That's how I thought about all trick-taking games. And then the one that I was introduced to first, which is what we talked about back in the older episode, is The Crew, which was a cooperative trick-taking game. And that immediately turned it on its head for me because cooperatively you're thinking about, okay, 
So this person, their highest card is a seven in blue, and I need them to, uh, they're supposed to win the nine in blue. So I've got to wait until they play a rocket, and I can throw my blue nine in, so that way they win the blue. And it starts making you have to think really hard about what you're playing, what everybody's playing, the information you're giving, because that game has limited information you can give. Really liked the crew. Ever since then, I've still been not a fan vocally not a fan of trick-taking games and i think i'll probably still stick to that however after playing ghost of christmas with tyler and alan uh cabin con 2020 2022 or 2019 it was was it no it was 2022 2022 yeah 2022 it was 2022 cabin con 2022 i played ghost of christmas and immediately was like well this is really cool i'd like to play that again i'd like to i'd like to kind of dig into that that was interesting it was so different and that's exactly what I did was that was just made it different. And then I tried nine lives this Christmas, bought it for Haley and we played it and I really liked it. And so I have now found games that for me do something different enough over basic trick taking that I feel like I really enjoy it, but I'm still skeptical with trick taking games. They're still not ones I'm going to like go out of my way for. Uh, but these two and the crew have done something special in my opinion that have basically twisted my view to where now I'm still not I'm still going to be very hesitant with trick taking games, but I know there's a chance I might like it. So in your standard like 15 chapter love story novel, you right now you're in like chapter 11. You're falling, but you're yeah. skeptical. Yes. You're waiting for the other shoe to drop, but will it? As you discover your love for trick taking games. What about your game that you hated and then have found a love for? So I, I hate to say hated because for me, a lot of games I, I play kind of for the social aspect. Like I, I I enjoy who I'm playing with. I enjoy the the setting. I enjoy really the activity. And so but my thing is dexterity games. They're probably one of my least favorites because I'm just not very good at manual dexterity. That's just not a strong suit. It never really has been. And so when it comes to dexterity games, it's not like I hate them. If somebody wants to play a dexterity game, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to play. I'm going to lose. And I accept that. I accept my fate. So it's not really one I'm like clamoring to play because it's not really one I want to get good at either. I mean, if I did naturally, it'd be awesome. But I'm not going to, you know, sell my soul for dexterity powers. I already sold my soul for Alice Cooper tickets back in 2012. And so when it comes to dexterity games, it's not really ones that I like to play. However, when Delton got the fuzzies, I fell in love I love the fuzzies. So with the fuzzies, you have these little balls that, and this was designed by our friend Sarah, who we met at Gen Con in 2021. And, or I guess it was, she, she designed the, the pieces to it. So she designed these little fuzzy she, balls. She, she designed the uh, the container. The container. And yeah. the pieces too. Did she? Yeah. Oh, I knew the container for sure and the way it locks and holds the cards and all that. Yeah. So she, uh, so basically what you do in that game is you take, you draw a card, you take a pair of tweezers and you pull the corresponding color of ball off if you lose balls off the tower then you have to, on the other side of that card that whatever color you drew there is something you have to do that inhibits your play for the time being so for example for the next turn you have to have one eye open one eye closed whenever you go to pull it off i really like that dexterity game i think because i get a tool and that kind of helps to aid in my dexterity limitations but it's also really fun because it incorporates those other elements as well, those penalties that are really fun and really goofy. And plus, my five-year-old, now six-year-old niece absolutely loves it, and so I have to, too. 
it's a really simple dexterity game uh, that essentially takes Jenga because you have to pull the little fuzzy and put it somewhere, but you don't have to put it on top. It will stick almost like Velcro, very interestingly, uh, anywhere on there, but you have to like balance it. It's very interesting, fun. The penalties aren't too penalizing. They're more for fun than they are actually penalizing. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a good little dexterity game. And I just want to throw this out there. Even though I am better at this one, I still lose. So I'm not just liking it because I, I win at it. No, I still lose. I don't think I've won once. Her dexterity skills and her hand-eye coordination are both equally poor. Yes. Yes. Don't ever <laughs> don't ever want, ask her to throw something to you because you will not receive it. Correct. And also don't tell her to look left because she'll look right every time. Also correct. It's mm-hmm, fine. Mm-hmm. All right. What was my other game? Do you uh, remember? RPGs. It was RPGs. So RPGs was a second one for me. And uh, I think Mar- part of that is RPGs, uh, kind of in the same way with your dexterity, RPGs for me were more of the social element. Social element was always the fun part, even though it's still kind of like nerve wracking at times, depending on the style. But once we got away from the Dungeons and Dragons, very rules heavy, all these detailed minutia, stuff like that. Once we got away from that and and then Brian kind of did his own little system, me and you did Honey Heist. Uh, I started reading or we did our our one shot of Mothership. I started reading Overlight and I've got Blades in the Dark in there and I've got Morkborg in there. The more I've looked into other systems for role playing that are either less complex or they're just more open world or they've got a little bit more narration or a little less rules overhead something is different about it some way that the game has an element it's made me really like rpgs to the point where i had amazon points i bought the overlight book i bought blades in the dark i bought morkborg and was just i've just been i haven't read it in a while but i was just reading the world of the overlight rpg from uh, renegade and i've heard that the rpg itself is okay uh it's all illustrated by quan chai moria so it's gorgeous but when I was have been reading the backstory, like the intro to the world and all of that stuff, it's one of the most interesting and engaging things for me because of just the way that it represents the over light in the world, what the light means to the people, how they interpret it. It's just phenomenal. And it makes me like excited for that world because it's just so interesting. Um, but that's the kind of thing with RPGs. I felt like once I branched out away from the, you know, here's 30,000 years of books that we're using to something so much more streamlined or even honey high style. It's a single page or I've got the PDF for wonder wonder folk where your little animals going like town to town or whatever, or the one that I really want Ryutama where it's basically like an anime anime. I'm going to help you on your quest, chopping some lumber, uh, that kind of shit. Uh, they're just, I don't know. There's something like exciting about them. That's that I never had for D and D or pathfinder or anything like that. And when you talk about, like, not having to dive into, like, 30,000 years worth of lore in order to understand a game or, you know, being really bogged down the rules, I think that was me or is me with, like, the player versus player battling game. So, like, uh, Keystone, right? No. Keyforge. <laughs> Keyforge, Keyforge Ma- Magic the Gathering. Magic po- the Gathering. Pokemon, Digimon. Pokemon, Digimon. Netrunner. Netrunner. Things like that. Uh, because like what Delton was saying with uh, his his RPGs, for me when it comes to like magic, when it comes to Keyforge, I I don't care enough to learn it. I don't care enough to learn the lore, the different cards, or why things work together in the new sets. I don't care. I will play, 
but I don't, I don't, I, I know I'm not going to be good. And I really, it's not that I don't want to be good, but I just don't want to spend my time learning about, you know, the new magic deck or set that's coming out, so on and so forth, and how it works so well with the Splinter Twins or whatever. I'm just throwing words out there. Jace the Minesweeper. <laughs> but, uh, Delton has challenged me on this because I, I said I can't find any that I actually like. But he says that the uh, Arkham Horror Living card game is, it meets this criteria. I think it's kind of different because I, I see as, you know, the, the card games that are player versus player battle where you have to construct a deck from scratch. That's what I don't like. You give me a pre-made deck, I'm like, sure, I'll play. Probably won't be very good still, but sure, I'll play. But I don't really like to build something from scratch, and I don't really like to have to go get a master's degree in Magic the Gathering in order to win a game. Yeah, and we won't dive into it here, but yeah, I told her that for me, Arkham Horror LCG basically does two things. It turns a competitive card game into cooperative, and then it instead of saying, here's the intro deck, change it as you please, they say, here's the intro deck, you will upgrade cards as you go. But to me, they're almost identical with a few little twists into it. But instead of getting that in, into that here, I think that's closer. Haley doesn't necessarily love the Arkham Horror LCG, but it's one that we have. We only have like one more session for the base story. Uh, we've just never sat down and done it because we don't play those games a lot. But that's the closest thing I think she's going to get for a card battler. But uh, both of us do agree that we have yet to find a dungeon crawler that we like. Yes. I'm not a fan of Clank. I've tried. Gave it the old college try a couple of times. Uh, I think we even well, demoed it. Clank's more of a deck builder than is a dungeon crawl, but it has a little bit of that element. But think dungeon crawler, think more Zombicide. Yeah, I don't like Zombicide. Or Descent. Yeah, I don't like Descent. Or Star Wars Imperial Assault. Yeah, I don't like Star Wars Imperial Assault. my brother, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I am sure they are good games, and I'm not saying they are bad games or poorly made or anything like that. I am... Very impressed with the design. I uh, just don't like him. And I think this kind of ties into our topic because, you know, our topic is enemies to lovers. And we're not saying that we'll never find a dungeon crawler. But I think what we're really getting at here is the point of having an open mind still. So even though Delton did not like uh, trick-taking games for like seven years, he finally found one that he liked. And he's like, ah, I want to play this. And that opened the door to other ones. Even though I don't like the player versus player card crafting games. Apparently I do. I just don't know it yet. So I'm still <laughs> on chapter six in my romance novel. Uh, but with Dungeon Crawlers, for Delt Knight, neither one of us really like them. We haven't found one that we've liked. We haven't found one we really enjoy or want to buy or pick up or just are hankering to play. But that doesn't mean that we're going to shun them all off. No, exactly. Like There has been so much positive talk around Gloomhaven. So many people love Gloomhaven. Everybody likes Gloomhaven. There's a ton of content in the box. There's sales on it every once in a while. They have the smaller version that Brian has, Jaws of the Lion. And all these things, we had Mice versus Mystics. There's stuffed fables from Plat Hat. That's the more cute version. All this stuff. It's just the least interesting to me. And I think the problem with that is when I play a dungeon crawler, I leave that game session going i kind of rather would just play an rpg yeah i think that's it for me too because mm -hmm. if i like with mice versus mystics it was a cute game and i like the little figures and i like the premise but i just really wanted to play the rpg version i like the story of it we just need to get mouse guard 
Mouse guard. That's all it is, is you're all little mice like that. Or we RPG. do a fiasco where we're our Quentin Tarantino mice. The one thing we didn't talk about was Haley's not necessarily love for RPGs until she played Fiasco in real life. She loves narrative-based RPGs. Yes, because the first time I really played RPGs when we played Dungeons and & Dragons, and I'm kind of like Delton, we got caught up in the rules, there was so much to keep track of, and not that that's, it's, it's kind of like with Lisboa. I can do it. There's a lot of rules, and there's a lot of moving parts, and a lot to keep track of. I can do it, and I can win it, but I don't enjoy it. And so, for me, I really liked Fiasco because it was very narrative and relationship-based. And I got to use my imagination. And there's still skill involved. And there's still rolling involved. But I really enjoyed the narration part, which is why whenever we played the night game with Brian, I enjoyed that because we did have, you know, checks. We did have to roll dice. We did have to have skill checks. But he let me kind of be my own little Lurine Nightbloom in that game as well. Yeah, so Haley's always big on the narrative thing, but... That, yeah, that's the thing is it's for dungeon crawlers. I don't know. I just I've never found one that makes me go. I want to play that again. It's kind of sucks because there's a lot of them that look cool, but I just know the style of game is just not something that appeases me. So being that this is I think this is like our third episode to talk about uh, the trick taking games, because I know we talked about the first Gen Con and how Delton didn't like custom heroes. I know we like briefly talked about that. Probably in like episode seven or something like that. When we talked about Delton falling in love with trick-taking games in episode the 85, the crew. 86. 86. And we're talking about it again here. I'm sure to be continued, we might find a dungeon crawler that we fall in love with. And if so, we will do a sequel to this podcast. But until then, I don't want to play one. To the question. And now, join us for a Malt House Games podcast special, Pine Size Question. So the question for today's episode is a good old-fashioned game of bang, marry, and kill. So yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it. Doing it live. So, Delton, bang, marry, kill. Dungeon crawlers, RPGs, or cards against humanity. It's really funny because RPGs, we both have ones we really like, but as a whole, it's still like there's a reservation there, depending. Okay, so I'm going to give you an RPG for this one, and you have to give oh, me an RPG. How's okay. that? that? That works. That's better. Ooh, let's see here. The Honey Bear RPG. Honey Heist? Honey Heist. Uh, so Bang, Mary Kill, Dungeon Crawlers, Cards Against Humanity, and Honey Heist. Well, I think you have to kill Cards Against Humanity, because that's what needs to happen forever now. Uh, and then Bang and Mary, ugh. You made it. You made it about a bear, and now that's weird. I guess I would marry Honey Heist and bang Dungeon Crawlers. You can just one night stand it. Boom, bada bing, bada boom. Gave you a shot. Not a fan. Getting out of there. And then Honey Heist just you know keep you around forever. And we're gonna pretend to be bears stealing honey from stuff. Sometimes the bears roll playing. Human clothes. It's fine. It's not. It's fine with a hat with a spinny wheel on it. It's fine. And some like galoshes or something. Some wellies. There you go. Okay, Haley, how about you? Bang, Mary kill, dungeon crawlers, cards against humanity, Warhammer role-playing. Oh, God. The one that Alan used to be in love with. Oh, Jesus. Oh, save me. Okay. So I'm also with you. We're going to kill cards against humanity. <laughs> so I'm, just, I'm just done with that one. <laughs> I feel like we didn't even have a choice. We didn't have a choice. That's a difficult one. So it's dungeon crawlers versus 
the uh, Warhammer Fantasy War- Roleplay. Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. So uh, I feel like the Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay is going to be more exciting for the bang part. We can get creative there. And so I think that means I'm going to marry Dungeon Crawlers. Oh! It, it, it'll, it might be an arranged marriage, but we'll make it happy. <laughs> we'll make it work. Yep, you'll figure it out. No, I, I believe in us. We'll find love. We will find our chapter 15 in our romance novel. It'll be great. I think that works out. Can't complain. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Mouth House Games podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed this longer than normal episode since we did two games and then a pretty... Uh, a pretty a pretty interesting hopefully interesting topic maybe we're just long-winded we're both tired tonight and yes. uh hopefully that's not coming across too much in the audio sleepy we are sleepy but uh yeah hopefully you've enjoyed it hopefully you want to pick up ghost of christmas in nine lives let me be your haggler when you do yes Haley will be your haggler at the bgg bazaar for ghost of christmas nine lives i bought straight from board game tables website uh they've got both of these and some other games they all come if you're on the video version, you can see the box sizes and board game tables, boxes, these small ones like this. It's just the best size. It's the same. They have one called Mountain Goats and they have another game. I can't think of what it's called. And then I have one that I have ordered for Haley called Sequoia. And it's a, um, what's it called? Like an area control game about trees. Fantastic box size though. Really, really good. But yes, uh, go check these out. Head to board game tables. Check out the games that they cover. Check out Taiki Shinzawa's games. Uh, find Mask Men from Oink and tell me how it is because I've never played the thing. Uh, if you want to send us a game you think we need to talk about, and by that I mean send us the name of one that we need to try to play to do on the podcast. I mean, or a game. That's fine too. Uh, yeah, really, whatever. Uh, if there is a topic you want us to discuss, if there's a question you want us to answer or a beer you think we need to find, you can send all of that to contact at malthousegames.com in an email. You can always find us on social media at Malthouse Games. It's M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S. Uh, you can always find me personally at, wait, I said H-A-U-S Games, Malthouse Games. You can find me personally at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K, even though I never use my personal. And you can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-K. That is at Squirrely Geek. You can head over to malthousegames.com to check out our website and see all the other games and uh, we've covered with the podcast episodes. Uh, I'm a little behind on updating it, but it's still decently caught up. Uh, it's just a bit of a pain in the butt because it's not the best website system. Don't forget your merch. Yes, you can head to shop.malthousegames.com to buy t-shirts, beer glasses, things like that with our logo on it. Uh, a bunch of stuff with our logo on it. Hopefully we can put more in there at some point. Go get you fanny pack. Is there anything else we can think of that we need to talk about? Go buy this beer. Buy all the beers, buy all the games, do all the stuff. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Mothhouse Games Podcast. Until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. See you folks later. Bye. Bye.